Hello and welcome to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast produced by me, Fraser McGriff for Aleph. In this series of podcasts, we take a look at interesting topics and discuss what we think they tell us about analysis and decision making. I'm here with Nick Hare and Peter Coghill of Aleph, and this week we're discussing models. Nick, go for it. Have you heard tell of the Masayid Sarawia? No, okay, I'm all these- ears. These are the desert kites, uh, which are these dry stone wall structures found throughout Southwest Asia, um, Middle East, North Africa, Central Asia. Uh, apparently the first discovered in the 1920s. There's thousands of these things. And they're, I think, uh, more or less strongly believed to be animal traps. Right. So they're kind of they're, if you think of sort of a kite shaped thing, the idea is with surrounded by walls. The idea is that animals get sort of herded into the wide end and then they gradually run towards the narrow end where they get where they get corralled. Killed. Yeah. So it's basically a way of trapping animals. What's this got to do with models? Uh, calm down. I'm getting to that. Turns out that um, they uh, some researchers have been analysing some engravings and it turns out that they're actually to scale depictions of these desert kites. So in other words, they found they found found these desert kites um, what the uh, you kites know, are the models of the what? no the kites the kite is the a desert kite is the name of this structure. Got it. There are near some of these desert kites. They found engravings, yeah, right, of the kites that, i.e., which are, which are small plans, right? And these things oh, are massive. These they're models. Like, they're, they're they're little models basically in order to facilitate planning the construction of the actual real thing, right? So they they basically make little engravings, pictures, plans of these of of the desert kite that they're going to build. Gotcha. And then they go out and build it. Now, these things are massive. You can only see them from the air. So they're like they're like hundreds of feet long. So you you so you you need to so what it shows is that the idea of, you know, making a little version of the big thing in order to play with it yeah. is is thousands of years old. Yeah. Right. So it feels like making models and that's a sizable proportion of and possibly a lot older but but you know there are thousands, you know you there are those sort of little model horses and and model people aren't they that are sort of tens of thousands of years old yeah. um so uh you know and th- really it's very similar to when we in the data science world talk about models you know making a, a little version of some bigger thing that you want to understand or or, or play with and then using it to, to advance your understanding. So uh, it, we've realised, I think, that we've never really done a podcast episode about models, mm. but they're very important. Yeah. So that's what this is about, models. Brilliant. Um, look, I, I do apologise, and I don't want to distract us, um, but um, I'm having trouble visualising this model. Um, and I know this is not really what we want to talk about, but I, I, you, I, we, I'm there now. But I don't understand what this kite thing is. How is it a kite that moves animal that corrals animals or something? The thing I have described to you <laughs> is called a desert kite. Imagine a big V-shaped wall. But hold on, does this go up Fraser, in the sky? Stop it, thinking about no. other stuff. Does it go no, into the no, sky? No, it doesn't. Imagine a big V-shaped wall. Yes. Right? Yes. Sort of imagine the kite where it's just the bottom half of the kite. By the way, I right? don't like your tone, but keep going. Right. But not with that Big tone. V-shaped wall. Animals come in the wide end. Yes. They get funneled towards the narrow end where they are killed by 
uh, yes. humans who yes. are waiting for them. Yes. Right? This structure, whether you like it or not, is called a desert kite. Is it right? anything to do with the kites in the air? But yes, because of the shape. Reminiscent in shape. Got it. Because of that V. Got it. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And so were you to draw a little plan of uh, this, which is... So the desert kite, just to reiterate, is a large V-shaped wall in the desert. It's not a kite on a string or anything like that. <laughs> okay. Big V-shaped wall in the desert. And imagine you were to you were a Stone Age person yeah. making an engraving of that. Yeah. Right? It would slightly resemble Understa what you think understand. of as a kite. Understand. But, the, but the point is, uh, that's what we're talking about. Okay. Brilliant. Just to, just to say, though, yeah. is um, although they didn't have the writing or indeed the letter V in, because they probably didn't have an alphabet, I don't think that's very complicated. And I can't really see why it needed a model, because some bloke or lady could just hold their hands up in that sort of shape. Well, it's doing things a like, shaped. where are we going to put this in relation to the hill? Oh, they yeah. would put like, some you know, frame you put, it within the geography. Draw a little bit yeah. of, yeah, the oh, hill. Okay. So then you work out. discussing, because it's going to be a multi, it's not one person building this. It's going to be a big yeah. team gotcha. of people. They'll be say, this, this, this leg here is, uh, uh, is sort of like 100 paces. Yeah, got it, got it. Nice. Okay. Okay, so apologies to you, too, yeah. and apologies to our listeners for that. Um, uh, great models. Um, Peter, what have you got? So you, you should be all about this. Oh, big on models. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, Nick Nick mentioned that, that, that models are a reduction in, in scale, but they're not just that. It's sort of a reduction in complexity as well. Models are useful when you want to take a, a phenomenon in the real world and you want to sort of be able to replicate the real world sufficient to play around with that phenomena, but you can't replicate the whole world. So you need to trim bits off. So yep. you trim off the bits that aren't important. So um, if you're if you're building a, an economic model to predict the price of eggs, you, you don't really care about gravity and things like that. So you can get rid of the, f the physical parts. Of the yeah, and you're not going to try and model every single egg. And you're not going to try and model every single egg, yeah. So you, you take, you, 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 de you downscale the scale of it in, in, in the idea of the sort of scale models that the, the desert kite is, but the uh, also complexity. So you can have... Uh, a uh, less frequent time step or a less accurate sort of numbers in it or you can have fewer numbers fewer variables that you're, that you're dealing with is it correct to, i mean to use a word that you guys use a lot and i, I kind of understand um is it fair to call a model a, a, a heuristic uh isn't it a, 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 I, I would I, I can see what you mean yeah i feel like uh, a heuristic is like a model of a of a complex decision process mm. in yeah. a way. It's like okay, actually, if you're going to make this decision properly, you need to think about yeah. two hundred things. But it turns out the only thing you need to worry about is you know when's the next bus coming. Yeah, and, I, and, and so I like we'll 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 do that thing if the next bus is ten minutes or more away. You know, it's like a simple heuristic. So and, I was just, and I was just thinking when Nick was saying these models have been around a, a while. I think they're probably as old as thought. I think yeah. your, your brain, like intelligence. It's partly about sort of building models for things, which are, you could say, a heuristics, which is sort of a simple, I can't model everything that you're thinking, Fraser, or you as a person in my head, but I can, I've got an idea of what you're likely to do or how you're likely mm. to behave in certain situations. So I have got some form of model in my head about, about you mm. that helps me understand you, helps me empathize with you, et cetera, et cetera. Thank goodness. Not yeah. that I ever turn it on, but <laughs> no. I, it, yeah. yeah, it's there. Yeah, so, yeah. um, it, 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 you d I think you think you kind of think in models as well. Yeah. yeah so yeah. models are as old as, as are as old as thought. 
Yeah. Okay, model. We want to understand something that's a bit complicated maybe, but also for our own understanding, but for the understanding of others, right? Um, mm. Is that reasonable to say that sort of, sort of thing? Yeah, although, I mean, I think it, because it comes so naturally to us, I think it's actually quite hard to explain what we mean by a model uh, of something. Um, you, you know, so I think because so I think the sort of definitions you see tend to say, well, it's an it's like a representation of something that is meant to be informative in some way. But right, there you go. But so we but that that then kind of boils us uh, down to another problem, which is what does it mean for something to represent something else? In what sense does a um, you know a say a model car, which is made out of porcelain, what's it got in common? with a big car because it needs to transmit some information but there's a balance because it, it, there's no point in transmitting exactly the same amount of information because it's the same thing and it ceases to be a model right yeah. and but it's got to be enough that it is informative um, right. so there's a bit of a balance there yeah and and uh, but but if we think of it as basically a model share as something that shares some features with the thing it's supposed to represent and the idea is that well, we it just doesn't share as many features. We just have there's things that we have not bothered to put in our model that we know are in the real thing, but because for some reason we don't care about them. So like if if you were trying to work out if a car would fit in your garage, and you had a model of your garage, you'd want a model of the car that uh, you know was the same proportionally the same size and shape. You wouldn't really care about the mass. But if you wanted to know how a car is going to perform, you know, in a collision, then you, you actually need a totally different set of uh, parameters about the real car. Um, maybe its size and shape aren't as important as, you know, the materials it's made of and so on. So it's like, well, actually, you know, there's no it, there, there's there's an infinite number of possible models you could have, have of any system. And really, it comes down to what you want to use it for. Yeah. OK. Models. Right. We figured out what they are. By the way, actually. Go on. Um, one of the distracting things in... I'm, I'm sure it was an excellent example of the of the desert kite. Uh, sorry to hark back on this. Is it just made me think of birds as well? Um, of like you know, because I can't help but think of the red kite. Real birds or yeah. model birds? Um, well, I th I think they're the same thing. Well, hold on. Shall we just now start calling them the desert V-shaped wall for you, Fred? <laughs> yes. That, See, this is help. a good example where the model has fallen down, or or for me, you know, um, maybe some people need. Um, <laughs> <laughs> simpler models than others yeah um but anyway uh yeah no it makes me feel i'm sure there's some i bet there's a bird called a desert kite anyway i can't help but feel i'm taking us in the wrong direction no no i like it i, I suppose it would be interesting to ask what makes a good model and how we can know whether a model's going to be any good for what we want to use it for um but uh you know then the flip side of that would be what makes a bad model um, but so I mean I think there's what I've got to interrupt you. Sorry, what gone? One of my favourite because one of my favourite moments in film, um, um, Spinal Tap. This of is Spinal course. Tap, yeah, and <laughs> and and, and um, Stonehenge. But anyway, I'll just leave that out. There. We should put the clip, yeah, in, exactly. in case there's some benighted soul who hasn't seen Spinal Quite. Tap. We'll yeah. put the clip out there. Yeah, yeah. But, and sorry, but, Nick, I interrupted you. Yeah, because it seems like uh, I mean going back to what Peter was talking about earlier, there's there's this trade-off between kind of accuracy and computational complexity that that you know you you so uh, there's i mean a very famous uh, sort of example stroke short story by uh, well there is one version of this kind of idea which is in a very short short story by Jorge, by our favorite author Jorge Borges. Oh yes, yes, yes. Um, who wrote a one paragraph short story called On Exactitude in Science and it, it basically describes a province 
where they made increasingly detailed maps until they eventually they made one which was the exact same size as the country itself. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, so so you sort of think, well, that's the, in, in one dimension, the perfect model, because it's got every single thing that the real world has. But in the dimension of actually being useful, it's it's failed. So it's like, how do you know how much when do you stop taking stuff out? Uh, you know, and and so and you face that problem. You know, any kind of model you're going to build, where you think, well, um, you know, I've, I can keep, I can take this bit out and that bit out, and it's still producing kind of the right results. Um, but uh, you know, but it's but it's computationally more straightforward. Mm. And um, this is not surprisingly feels very close to this this question of information and processing, right? Yeah, which is right at the heart of. Um, well, we all know what it's at the heart of. Um, Aleph, right? Um, <laughs> exactly. But but it, it it is like the problem is, um, you know, if you're trying, if you're building a model uh, to find something out, to find, it, it, there is a kind of, I mean, essentially what you're doing is you're kind of saying, well, I'm going to find a model which is simple and straightforward and produces the right the right output, right for for kind of the what I know. So you've got some things which you you know, and the, you know that the model has to produce those outputs. And the idea is then you use the model to find out about stuff which you don't know yet, right? So you subject the model to kind of conditions which aren't stuff you've seen already. That's the point. Because if you'd seen it already, you wouldn't need to build the model. You're using, you're building and making the model to explore situations mm -hmm. you haven't seen. And the, that so there's that thing of like, well, it, you know, the model needs to behave in the same way that the real thing would behave under those circumstances. But actually, how do you know? Yeah, and you that's one of know. the failure mechanisms yeah. of a model is, if there there are certain input conditions which would force some unforeseen behaviour um, that your model doesn't account for because it's missing key machinery for dealing with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Then uh, that's one way you, you could fail. I mean, a model can only ever take you so far, but that's the point of models in a way, right? Because otherwise, it goes back to being that perfect map. Yeah. yeah, it will always. It has to have some limitations. Yes. It has to. Um, all right. I mean, you guys must have done this so many. You must do this all the time. This must be bread and butter for you, right? Well, I I make uh, you know statistical models of things which generate the right numbers. So that's the that's the idea of you know kind Me of. Me too. Yeah. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. Well, that's well, what we know doing. that about yeah, each other. Know, yeah. 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 Okay. Yeah, we wow. share that. Uh, you know, where you've got a bunch of numbers, you might have is you know. Um, Here's the uh, here's here's the you know, geographical location. Here's a time. Here's a you know some other variable, and and then there's an output. Maybe it's a house price or something, and uh, you want to predict um, all of those house prices based on the variables you've got. So you make a thing that basically a set of equations that produce the right that produces the right numbers, right? So when you when you crank the handle with those inputs, you get that output more or mm -hmm. less. And you go well that, that'll do. Now yeah, does it? But does it tell you, does then looking at the model, does it tell you something interesting? Just because it produces the right output doesn't actually mean that it's going to gonna be correct or that the structure of the model yeah. is telling you something true about the real world yeah. because there might be any number of ways to produce, you know, the real world outputs, but with a different design. But also I think what I find fascinating about this is, as we said right at the beginning um, with your example of that that bird that flies around the desert, is that this stuff has been around for thousands of years. This, yeah. this concept is maybe intrinsic to being a human and trying to understand stuff and get stuff done. And I was wondering what um, 
advances there might have been in modeling over the last however many millennia, right? Um, because the concept is probably pretty, is, is maybe, yeah, can't move, right? Um, and the only thing that can have um, changed or developed is this question maybe of processing power and information, yeah. right? Um, yeah, that just occurred to me. I don't know if that's a springboard for something or, um, yeah, where, where do we where do we go? What do we want to say? Where, where, what more can we do here in our discussion? Well, I mean, you, you, the point you're making. I mean, I think that's people might not think of it this way, but essentially, the process of designing artificial intelligence using machine learning is doing exactly that. Mm. You're, you know, you've got a bunch of um, behavior which is sort of correct, and you have a kind of empty, complicated mathematical structure. And you tweak that structure until the thing starts behaving in the way you want it to behave, and you just keep tweaking it. Now, in in um, you know, in, uh, fifty years ago, we had to use fairly analog methods like you know linear regression, which was just basically running an algorithm on the numbers to get a line which would kind of work as your model. Before that, I think, and Peter probably knows a lot more about these than I do, but there were like analog computers, mm. so things to predict the tides, for example, which would be like yeah. various wheels that would all get cranked with one another and uh, you know and produce the right the right output for when the tides would be. Um, and uh, yeah, but but I think now it's it's we're getting to the point where the complexity of the system being represented is is almost arbitrary because yeah. you can just rep represent anything with mm. you know a big enough say that, neural that's, network. And that's because or, computers just dropped in price because of computers for yeah. the start, and then ever greater size computers. Yeah, and also the bit. I mean, and also there's a bit of a sort of shift in the way that science is done. There's like there's also the, the technology things like the computing and the sensing and we cover the globe in temperature sensors and everything. It gives loads of data about how everything kind of works in, say, for example, um, uh, climate and things. But there's also a bit of a shift away from some people are working in a laboratory doing very, very careful experiments and very, very carefully measuring things and uh, to, well, we'll just run an experiment lots of times, collect lots of data and crunch that data and then mm. the computer will spit out some equation which tells us what the model is so if you think back to how uh, principia mathematica how um how newton did his experiments he was very meticulous in how he went about the, his measurements of, of star positions planet positions and did lots of sort of very hand very tough hand calculations to work out the relationship of how I thought he just sat in a garden and an apple dropped on his mm. head. Yeah, and and, and lots that? of very kind of intricate thinking. Whereas now we could just sort of we could point out if we didn't have uh, the laws that govern how things move around in the solar system, we could just point things at every single star we can sort of see, put that through a computer, and the yeah. computer could then crunch out how yeah how things yeah, work. and it, it almost like that would be a better model in terms of performance. But it wouldn't give us any insight, and I think that's that's one of the big limitations for you know mm. machine learning, is that you get these um, you know you can train a thing that will do a perfect job at you know finding a cat in a picture. I think in the past, so the way that we would have done that 30, 40 years ago is humans to go right. If you want to know what cat looks like, it's got pointy ears, so we're going to mm. have a designer thing that finds pointy ears in photos. And it's got whiskers, so we're going to look for, you know, lines at this angle. And you design a kind of cat-finding mechanism mm -hmm. by hand. And 
you know, and it, in that process might tell you a bit about how cats work. You work out, oh, the big discriminator is actually the whiskers, you know. Mm. And um, whereas now you, the, you know, the structure of uh, the network you've designed to do that, to, to identify those things, um, you, it's incomprehensible. It doesn't tell you anything about cats. It's just a big load of numbers. And when you look at the thing, the patterns they're looking for, they don't mean anything to us by and large. So, you know, we, we, you, can, you can get a thing that is a better model in terms of output, but a worse model in terms of the understanding it, it gives you. Mm. So as in, not surprisingly, as in kind of all areas of technological progression, um, we you're, were talking you're about... You're at the cutting edge. Yeah, well, of course. Yeah. Um, is, you know, but it's that sort of literal, uh, sa sorry, it's that saving of cost in whatever way you want to interpret that, right? Okay, so where do we want to go? What, where can we go from here, Peter? What might be interesting is exploring like what are models that people don't think are necessarily models, because they I mean, everyone yeah, does. Go to Peter. Everybody does modelling. You just do it. You do it in your head. So you, I, I, guess I gave an example of how you think about somebody you know, but you do it all the time. When you, I want to walk through that door. Your brain has got a model of how a door works that lets you then reach out to the handle, turn the handle. And you kind of, you, you can, that model is sufficiently abstract and general that you can sort of apply it to other doors. I don't have to work out every single door as I come to. It. I don't have to think about it very hard because I've seen lots of doors. So I've got a door model that I can then apply to other doors in my head. But uh, the, the problem with that, that c kind of inflation almost ceases. It worries me that that ceases, I mean, the word model starts to become meaningless, it feels like, if it's just, oh, well, everything's a model. Or do, do you know what I mean? It starts to it's in this sort of um, what do you call it in in a, in a continuum? Yeah, exactly. Where it, where at one end of it starts, I want to. I definitely know what a model is. At the other end, you're going. Well, that's a model as well. I'm going. Well, okay. I yeah, suppose well, it is. Yeah, really. And when does a nut model become an analogy? Blah blah. blah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I, but anyway, I sorry. think they're the same. I mean, I think Peter's right. It's incredibly fundamental to the way that we think and the way that we learn, because um, you know when we're when we're when we're learning. We are say, well. What we're saying is, okay. If I if I make a make a generalization about a door, right? So the fact that you say that this thing is a door is, uh, and that it has some sort of similarity with other things called doors, is because you're comparing the features of the two things, yeah. and you're saying that this thing shares enough features with this other thing, all of these other things called doors. Um, so I know this is a door. And then that enables you to bring all of the learnings, the deep learnings that you've had about how doors work to manipulating this one, right? If the So you know that story which we've discussed in the past, Funes the Memorius, the Borges story, to bring, so Borges gets a double shout out on this podcast. I think triple actually. Um, that, uh, you know, that, that for Funes, every single object was totally unique. So he had no ability to say, well, this door is as different to that door as it is to a cat, right? They're completely unique objects and is completely crippling. Mm. You can't think if you have that. And I think so I think that this this kind of is absolutely fundamental to the way that we think. Anytime you're predicting what the impact of something you, you do does, it's based on modeling, hey guys, which is what? essentially yeah. uh, essentially analogies. It's essentially saying this situation I'm in is similar to some other situation. And these objects are similar to some other objects. And that enables me to predict how they're going to behave. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I think it is really fundamental. Yeah. Um, um, other, other models that people use day to day. So Nick mentioned maps. So, yeah, I think that's a great example of you. You may have heard of Google Maps or Waze, I suppose. <laughs> um, 
that is that that's a that's a pictorial representation of the world around you. It's a model, and it's a model. So and it's and, it, and it's got kind of the right amount of information to be useful without having too much to be unuseful. And dynamic digital maps are great because they they bring in and filter out information as you go to different levels of zoom. Um, so that's a, that's a model that's you can... This classic London tube map area, isn't it? This yeah. kind of thing. Tube yeah. map, that's a really good model. Yeah. Um, a kind of topographical model just shows you what connects to what and where and in what order. doesn't show you actually where things physically are. That's a very a, a good model. You've heard of photographs? Yeah, I have, yeah. But, I mean, They're according kind of to model. the very general definition... Are they, are they models? models? Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they've got they share features with the thing that they're representing. I, I mean, and you can Ex use a photograph to learn about something. You, you can, can look at a photograph and learn about the thing it's photographed. Hey, we don't notice. Well, hold that. on, let's turn we this don't around notice. for both. I'm yeah, so, go on. yeah, I'm a bit worried now because um, are you a model? And if so, what are? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Still trying to find that one out, right? Um, well, no, but yeah, but uh, but there is a difference between although a photograph can be used as a model, and it definitely is on one level. In another sense, it's got nothing to do with a model. Because um, if, a, if a purpose of a model is to explain something, um, but even then, does yeah. it, right? Even then. I if, mean, I mean that's what I think you're saying is that, you know, and, and the fact that you might treat, you might interact with a photo in a different way to, the, to yeah. how you'd interact with the person yeah, yeah. Um, might mean that you get some understanding out of it that yeah. you wouldn't get with the, yeah. the real-life interaction. Yeah. But, I, but I think this is, I mean, we've, I think we've touched on this is very, a very fundamental idea. That's been kind of, you know... I suppose we've raised it up and we've pointed at it and said, look, that oh, we've discovered there's this thing which is models and, and it's useful to have that concept, right? And, and I guess it's so natural. It's one of those things we don't notice we're using all the time. Um, but I, I suppose one thing I want to bring up is that obviously as humans, we really enjoy, and I, I suspect because it's useful, we really like models, right? We like actually like pl like playing with toys, Toy cars, flipping brilliant. Love toy cars. Yes. D dolls houses, you know, computer games like Sim City and Civilization. So uh, I suppose I want to bring that up. Like, why is it such fun? Hair. Why is playing with models you, such fun? You've hit upon something here, haven't you? Because um, I'm sure all of us were into models when we were kids, right? Right. And, um, and I love the way by the, the, the until this moment we've not made any obvious jokes about models, right? But that moment's been and gone now. Yeah, um, classic phrase. I've messed up. Yeah. yeah. Um, but anyway, I remember when I was a kid. Uh, yeah, lead models, Warhammer, all that business. Loved it. Um, toy soldiers, um, airfit, all this kind of stuff. We all loved it. And what is it about models that we love? And and it must be so closely connected to what we're talking about, which is it's almost the real thing it right. is the real thing and yet it's got the quality that you can uh you can have it you, it's accessible it's to you right yeah. and um yeah and also what's interesting i suppose is we don't make models of i'm trying to think what we don't make models of for kids um fire i don't know uh, but I it's, think, it's i think there's you can get lego fire yeah so you I can yeah you know. but it's that way of interacting with the world and and conjuring up your or, or feeding nurturing your imagination with this stuff um the, yeah. yeah i mean that's it that you can tell a little you can tell a story with your model and it's you could tell a story in your head but the model is like it's like it's externalizing and doing a lot of the work that your brain would have to do 
you know, because it, it has things like the, which the real world has, like continuity and physical place. And you can say, right, this uh, now the little man's going to go out into the garden. And now you don't need to remember that he's not in the room with those other people. You know, and it's like it really just it means you can act the thing out. And, and as I said, uh, yeah, I, I, but I think that is it's not something we learn to do. It's so intuitive yeah. that mm. children get it straight away. This the, the idea of why, but why is it fun? What is why is it fun playing with little models of things? Well, I think it is that it's that um, it's the the the, the only boundaries of your kind of imagination. It sort of allows you to lock mm. into that. And why is that fun? That. Oh well, when why is when we could keep going? Why you know? But um, <laughs> but um, but why, also but why would be? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But it reminds me of a few years ago. Uh, one of the first. Uh, documentary films I ever made was uh, and the fascinating people was puppeteers yeah right and I was saying you know I was interviewing them and I said, what, what, what is it about puppets you know um, about marionettes and why this and not say acting on stage or in film or whatever and they said ah oh, well the wonderful thing about um, um, marionettes about puppets is that it gives you that um, there are no boundaries you know that we would have they do if, exactly what they're told yeah but um, sort of yeah um, and yeah, it was that. It was that it just lays open this wonderful, this wonderful kind of valley of exploration. Yeah. And there, there's a, a, a real joy in, you know, when you go to a museum and in the museum, there's a little model of the museum. <laughs> I love that. And in the model, there's a model. Of well, the model. there is there is a, um, there, yeah. there is a, a model village, isn't there, somewhere uh, where they have a model of the model village in the model Do they? village. Yeah. And and yeah. then they have you a little model. Infinitely yeah, infinitely they have a little remember. model of the model village in the model. Uh, yeah. We'll dig it out and put it in the podcast yeah, notes. Yeah. But, but that gives me just an inexplicable joy. Just, mm. you know, yeah. it's just joyous yeah. having a little model of something. Yeah. Yeah. And I, think, I, I think it's to do with the, the it gives you because the, the physical model filling in for your the, like you, you mentioned it being like a memory. So the little guy goes out in the garden. You don't need to remember a bit the guy being in the house anymore. That is a sort of multiplier in your capacity for playing things out. For doing yeah. things. So I think the joy is it can having models for something. Um, lets you unlock the door to a wider search space of things you can do, and hence new challenges and new new stories you can tell yourself. That's the, where the joy comes from, I think, is in this new place you can go and play, rather than just being in your own head. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, but I suspect you know that kind of um, the, that urge to to pick them up and play with them is ultimately because they're use they we're learning something. And I, I think, you know, when I, when I first started learning economics and, you know, you learn these kind of relationships, I would say hid, almost hidden relationships between things in the real world, like, you know, the, co the cost of oil goes up and somehow the price of beans rises mysteriously in the shops. And if you, yeah, if you don't, if you never bothered learning about economics or whatever, it's just a, a vague idea. Mm. But then economics gives you these tools to trace these effects, you know, through the system. And I remember thinking, it's almost like my brain is going, this, I can use this to somehow optimise 
the world. I'm learning how to control things in the world and what the effects of, you know, making these little changes would be. And it's not that dissimilar from, you know, from pick, from t- picking up a, making a car out of Lego and driving it into mm. a wall and saying, it's just, you know, it's like now I can make these things happen in the real world. Uh, you've suddenly got the power to l- learn about and do things in the real world. And, and having the little model of it is 90% of the way there. Well, look, congratulations, because um, you've almost... Um, made economics sound exciting and interesting <laughs> and fun. So, um, and maybe that sort of explains a little bit uh, about the way, w- why you are the way you are. Yeah, thanks. But unfortunately, also explains why I'm like I am. <laughs> um, and look, I need to finish this off. I can't tell you how much I enjoyed that. I right. thought I was good. I, I yeah. that was brilliant. I really enjoyed that. However, yes. <laughs> to just to bring us back down to earth, kites. Oh, God. <laughs> I thought you were going to say, what's your favourite model that you've no, made, that you've be, ever made or something? Be, no, yeah. Oh, I okay. Mean, that, what's your favourite kite? Ironically, a model kite would be a really bad model of a kite because it turns out that the um, that a kite, in order to behave like a kite, needs to be actually the size it is because yeah. of something to do with air pressure and surface area and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah so, yeah. 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 Yeah, no, so I, I, I can't leave this thing about kites now. Um, that's, to be honest, although you guys have been chatting away for the last half hour, all I've been, all I've been thinking about is kites. So what I would like from you, and it's too obvious to ask what's your favourite model and stuff. Yeah, favourite um, kite, definitely. You know, what's your favourite kite experience or thought? And that can be interpreted however you like. It can be your personal experience of a physical kite, but it could even just be a reference in art or literature or whatever, you know. Um, so, um, Sorry, kites. Yeah, as in the flying really, stuff. really, right. Favourite literary reference to a kite. Well, I've got my answer straight away. <laughs> Go on, then. Let's, let's all fly a kite from Mary Poppins. No, you I stole... Love, uh, well, that was silly of you, wasn't it? It was, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, well, you could just choose from any, one of the many hundreds of other k- kite... <laughs> fictional kite references <laughs> but it could be a factual one as in the kite flyer of no Kabul but it's a really it joyous song actually really i mean i love mary poppins anyway but it but it's a it's really mm. a, a you know a kind of your soul it takes your soul up it with it, it yeah. it's almost like it lifts you up like a like a like, like i don't know like what, a balloon if, yeah like a balloon <laughs> uh, but yeah once again nick we've discovered you know not only do we have our deep interest and love of economics in common right and and board gaming, but also music, musical theatre. Uh, yeah, but yeah. Yeah, and actually, I don't really like musical theatre, but I do love Mary Poppins, and I and um, I don't know. I'm, I know, I know, I know. We're meant to be talking about kites on this podcast, yeah. But um, actually, my favourite um, Mary Poppins one is "Feed the Birds." Oh, it's so beautiful, and it's a little bit sentimental, and but I love playing on the. Oh, piano. It's, a, it's a proper tearjerker yeah. that one. Ah, yeah, beautiful. Um, but yeah, that's my favourite. So we can share that. We don't have to have a different yeah. one, you know. Um, Peter, you can come and join us in the whole kite you know let's yeah. go fly I do like Mary Poppins uh, but my favourite kite experience was I was on holiday and I can't remember where it's somewhere in the UK somewhere windy but not too windy I hope probably it's probably somewhere like the Lake District or Peak District mm. I was walking anyway we we stopped uh, for, we, uh, with a friend and we we, we stopped at this um, nature reserve place and it was a red kite reserve. It was before red kites became Hold on, became you're big. taking us in the okay. wrong direction we've totally. Gone, we've that gone is totally not, off. That this is, is totally now. not what I meant. Yeah. Um, that's not a kite. I know it's, I know it's not, yeah, that's, why, that's why I thought of it. So, <laughs> if you um, tied a string to its leg, though, it could yeah, be a bit like stretched it out with <laughs> yeah. sticks to, yeah. Um, but it was, yeah, so they, they, it was some red kite reserve. And this was, this was 20 years ago. Red kites are everywhere now in the UK. Yeah. Back to sort of, 
pre yeah numbers pre eighteenth century yeah. levels. Yeah. Um, so you didn't see many of them. Anyway, they, we, it, was, it was there's a little uh, little pond, and in the pond, the middle of the pond, well, it was quite a big pond, maybe fifty meters, hundred meters around, and in the middle was a little island, and there was kite feeding time. Oh. Where they, somebody came out with a bucket, a big bucket full of cadavers of um, rabbits and oh. things, chucked it on <laughs> of red squirrels. And, uh, and this is your on, this is your treasured memory. This is your yeah, and they chucked it on the on the on the um, on this mound. And um, nothing happened for a few minutes. And then a few, I'd say a few birds started circling around. And then... I bet I know what kind they were. Within a few minutes, there were hundreds of these enormous red kite birds just flying around. And soon after that, when there was, they reached a sort of critical mass, they started swooping down and grabbing these bits of carved up rodent off the, <laughs> off the, yeah, off the uh, mound. It was very impressive just to watch these very um, beautiful birds. Yeah. Nice. Okay. Well, there you go, listeners. Everything you ever wanted to know about kites, but we're too afraid to ask. All right, let's stop there. Wonderful. Thank you, as always, for listening to the Cognitive Engineering Podcast. I'm Fraser McGrew, been here with model and kite specialist Nick Hare and Peter Coggle of Aleph. Until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. <laughs>